With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome everybody to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer perceived value and everything it takes to produce it, sell it, and price it. Uh, today I've got a fantastic guest, I'm really excited, Rich Blakeman, uh, I've known for, I don't know, 10, 12 years, uh, from our days together at one of the big sales training companies. Um, he was a vice president of sales, uh, headed up their unit on channel, um, channel sales. He's written his own book, The Hybrid Sales Channel, and he has now gone on to uh, other bigger, greater things as a managing director, director of membership for a, another organization. Rich, welcome. Mark, great to be with you today. And uh, if you want to give people your contact information at the beginning of this, we'll ask for it at the end too, but I, I always hate waiting for the whole thing when a, a guest as great as you is here. Um, that's a uh... It's a little superfluous on your part, but I'll go with it. Uh, people can reach me easily at um, my personal email is rcblakeman, B-L-A-K-E-M-A-N, at gmail. Great. So, Rich, um, full disclosure, Rich uh, read and has reviewed my book. Uh, Rich is a um, Rich and I, well, I, I don't know if it's a mutual admiration society, but I have a huge amount of respect for Rich. Um, he and I have had some discussions that are um, actually one of, one of the graphs that I'm proud of in my book really came out of a, a discussion that I had had with Rich. I uh, should probably be sending you royalties for your share of that uh, graph that we helped make up. I I told you all I need is one of the seven ups out of that cooler and I'm good. Uh, but you're right in all honesty, we were sitting at a conference together in San Francisco and we got into a discussion of value. You were in the middle of writing your book. Um, you asked some questions much like you ask everyone else that you know, questions about how they define value, how they measure value about uh, how value is struck up in the marketplace. Uh, I gave you some perspectives and uh, uh, it was a great conversation. Um, as most of my conversations with you are, Rich, and thank you. Um, I, I uh, wanted you here because we have a great deal of, of common ground and, and some shared experience. And I make the claim in some of my other interviews that uh, in my almost 10 years at Miller Hyman, I probably crossed paths with a hundred, close to a hundred consultants. 
And since then, I've uh, come in contact with consultants of the other major uh, sales methodologies out there. And even though different companies, sales training companies, call it something different, um, what we found is that salespeople, this, all 100 consultants found that salespeople are not very good at understanding customer outcomes involved in a sale. Uh, can you back me up on that? Um, <laughs> that's, that's, uh, that's more than fair. Uh, I'll, I'll give you my perception of why that is. Um, just like the old saying that people don't listen for content, they listen to reply. The same is true of selling. If you're selling in order to find the way to say what you want to say that you already know is the world's greatest avenue, even though it may be well proven in use cases and in your experience and all your clients' experience across the planet. But you just, you just, you're just itching to get it out there. Then it, it's, it's almost like, you know, enough about me, Mark, let's talk about you. What do you like about me? <laughs> That's exactly and, right. Uh, the first, that's, what, that's what the value conversation ends up being about. Yeah. And it ends up being about, I'm, I'm interested in talking about you and your perception of value long enough for me to use it so that I can talk about it, me again. Yeah, um, that's a really great point. Um, I noticed something about myself when I first started facilitating training courses. Uh, that I wasn't interacting much with the participants in the course because I was most interested in, in telling them what I knew. And I was less interested in getting them to walk away knowing it for themselves. Um, because, of course, it was new and I was really proud of what I'd learned. But I think salespeople probably are kind of, especially the younger, less tenured salespeople or people starting with a new company, you you're trying to share your brilliance, not your empathy. I think it's empathy. And I, th I think it's your ability to lead the customer, the client, pick your terminology that fits your industry, to an answer that is probably already within them. But they don't know that it's within them in the context that you might be able to help them shape by questions that you ask, not by answers that you give. Yeah. Because if you're, if you're going to shape their context by answers that you give, they really don't have any time for you. 
But if you can shape their context and help them find an answer that's within them by the questions that you ask them, they'll give you more time. They'll give you, they'll give you anything that's within inside of them. Uh, I really, I really like that. I'm writing it down. I think that might be the excerpt quote for this thing. Um, in, in my book, you, you saw me def define value as the desirability of the outcomes your product or service delivers for a customer. And so your customer isn't buying anything. And, and of course, um, that's a Bob Millerism, right? We, we both learned that from Bob Miller is customers don't buy your product or service. They buy their own outcomes for their own reasons. Uh, and how badly they want those outcomes is the value and how much they'll pay. No, no question. And so what we are doing as salespeople, much like a, a brain surgeon doing brain surgery through a tiny, you know, tiny, uh, laparoscopic instrument, we're trying to change something between a customer's ears through only a pinhole view. We don't know what's really going on in there. We have to have conversations and we, we get to view what's going on in there only through the context of, of how we've conversed about it. But the only thing that matters in a sale is what's happening inside the other guy's brain. No doubt. And, um, so that's why, you know, the, the, when you help them shape their context, um, you're asking them to build a story, to tell themselves a story. And, um, you know, we, there's all of the, uh, the buzz right now in sales about storytelling being so much more effective than fact telling. And, um, and how that, and, you know, stories. That's just, that, that's lipstick on a pig, Mark. It's I, all that is, is lipstick on a pig. It's a different way of saying that a pitch is selling. I, well, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Rich, that uh, it, it's, a, it's a better way to pitch. If your bar is so low that you're going to still pitch, then pitch with a story. Um, however, and, and the reason that's true is that the human brain is wired to tell themselves a narrative and a story actually engages parts of the brain uh, that aren't, ex aren't activated when you simply tell facts. But when you're asking a client questions, you're forcing them to tell that same story to themselves. You, there's nothing better on the planet than having the client tell the story. Yeah. And, and, and you shut up and listen. And, and you listen so closely that when they get to a critical point and they stop for a bit, and then you ask them one more question that's really sophisticated, like, tell me more about that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, is, that is the greatest sales question there is. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it, it's, uh, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm amused by um, all kinds of companies that sell value proposition consulting, that they want to help you build your value proposition, um, that 
that there are all kinds of um, value selling methodologies that are about how you can sell your value to someone. Um, uh, it just, it just, it, 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 it does nothing but amuse me, Mark. I, yeah, I, I am in the same boat. I, I say they're not selling value, you're telling value. Mm -hmm. And the old, you know, the old sales manager saw that telling ain't selling uh, applies. And well, let, me, let me, let me give you, let me, you didn't ask for it, but let me tell you a story. Great. Um, I, I have the pleasure of, of leading a team of people that are unique on this planet. Uh, in fact, if you tell me that in your sales experience you've ever come upon one of these, I will I will send you the seven up. Uh, they spend their client contact time only, solely speaking with CEOs and business owners. That's it. No, no other buying influence whatsoever. Not talking to anybody else inside an organization, CEOs and business owners. And they generally spend about a half an hour on the telephone with someone they've never met. Within 10 minutes, that CEO or business owner will be telling them about all of the challenges of being isolated as a CEO, all of the challenges of um, running a business where they don't trust the advice of most of the people who would like to give them advice because they all have an agenda in the advice that they're giving them, even up to and including their board members and owners. And we'll just literally pour out on the table everything that's going on with them, starting about 10 minutes into the conversation. And that's how they spend their time. And after 30 minutes, um, they agree or disagree um, to have another conversation. But uh, that proves to me that people who have never met anybody in their life and have only a phone conversation can be engaged in a way that they can tell their story fully, almost unprompted, not quite. And at that point, be identifying every ounce of value that they would receive from what we do. And uh, I couldn't give a stronger testimonial than that. That's, uh, that's amazing to to have that experience to um to be able to witness that i had something similar 
um, in one of my first jobs out of college, uh, I was product manager for this company. And um, I very quickly learned, like my first week, I was shadowing a, an experienced product manager. Long story short, I was on this phone and a salesperson called this product manager and product manager asked, what's the value? And the salesperson said, well, I don't know yet, but uh, I really think this is your product. And the product manager said, well, don't call me, just call me back when you know. And he slammed the phone down on the cradle. Um, when I would have, when I would be a product manager later on and I'd have a, a client and I knew we could make the product and it could be a, a, a change as simple as just change the color. It's the exact same construction. It's the exact same cable we make for another client, but they just want it in a different color. So the tooling wouldn't have to change. The process documents wouldn't have to change. The only thing that changes, I, I cross out gray and write blue on the drawing and we had blue in stock. So it wasn't even a, an inventory matter. Uh, the engineer would grill me with what's the value? What is the customer's business? What outcome do they have from buying our product? Why do they want it in gray, not blue? Why do they, uh, and, and why is it so unique that we think we can get a price premium, a profitable price premium for it? And if I couldn't answer that question satisfactorily, he was allowed to and encouraged to withhold his signature. And I couldn't get a prototype made until I'd gone to ask production for a prototype. You know, can you spare a couple hours in the schedule this week to make me a prototype for this customer? And they would ask the same question and they were free to ask the same question. And I had to be able to answer that. And um, the entire culture of that company focused everybody on what is the customer value. And if you didn't know, nothing moved for you. If you did know, they could move mountains. And it's not quite the same as being able to talk to a CEO and have them spill their guts about the loneliness of being in the, in the uh, CEO's office. But it's another flavor of really being focused on that customer's business and how you're going to help make them more successful and how you're going to grow their business for them. Um, it was a real gift to, to have been involved with early in my career and, and shaped a lot of my thinking and was kind of uh, one of the germs that, that one of the seeds that sprouted that book. No doubt. I was also going to ask you um, if you buy into, see, when I talked to uh, Jim Dickey a couple months back, um, he told me that he'd, he had stopped doing this research about four or five years ago, but for the 10 years or so that he had done the research, there was a steady number that about 75% of all sales organizations had zero, had no component of the sales comp plan that was involved with profitability of the sales. Mm -hmm. Only 25% of the comp plans had any component of profitability in the comp plan. Is that, is that uh, jive with? I, I'd say it, it um, I, I think that's a little, too broadly generalized. Okay. Because I think you need to get into industries 
and whether industries, I mean, I know entire industries, let, let's take the steel industry. In the steel industry, um, they pay on nothing but profit margin. Good. They never, never, never have paid on anything but that. Um, so a lot of the hard manufacturing, hard industrial organizations, um, um, minerals and, and major commodities of that nature, um, and especially then those that have a lot of flux to them based on global pricing and, and the like, um, will, will only um, pay on margin. Um, there are places that that don't either because from a regulatory point of view um, they can't uh, because they have to set pricing and 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 margin is relatively unimportant to them uh, because they have to set pricing and, and stay within a certain pricing mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think it's probably more valuable to kind of take a look at that within the industry they operate, the characteristics that they operate in. Um, uh, I, I think sure, probably, fair enough. I think I think people probably ought to take a look at the SaaS software market and see, do an analysis of uh, 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 profit margin per sale per day of the quarter, um, and uh, and see see how that looks because uh, uh, I'm relatively sure that the margins vary based on what day of the quarter it is. Not too, not too different from used cars. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's very true. And uh, I was always in a position uh, when in my sales jobs where I was so far ahead of quota, I didn't need to, uh, I didn't need to squeeze something in and I could successfully make the, you know, and I had good enough sales managers uh, where I could say, I don't need to discount and I'd rather have twice the margin a week after the quarter ends than half the margin today. Sure. And um, some sales managers are okay with that and some are not. And I was lucky enough that I had a good sales manager and I was always far enough ahead of my quota that, um, it didn't become, it was never a, a point of contention. Well, and some, some customers are good with that and some are not because if you make an offer to a customer on the 30th of June and they decide to make the decision on the 5th of July and you tell them, I'm sorry that your offer's expired. So tell me what's different in five days about your company. Yeah. Um, and and how you're you're unwilling to to uh, keep that offer in place for five business days or not even five business days the Fourth of July yeah. uh, kept up some of them yeah uh, and so there are, there are customers especially of course the customers that have strong sourcing departments are you know are, are are smarter than than most of those kinds of plans these days yeah and forget just doing it five days later uh you can do it a month later and sure. um i and and or you can be one of those sourcing folks and say well you had a quarter end deal 
uh, last quarter. And I'm not going to give you this quarter two this order two weeks before the end of the quarter because I know in three four days you're going to call me with a thirty percent discount. Why would I? Why would I give you that order now? Right. Um, so, because you've trained your customers to expect that kind of behavior. Uh, so there's uh, all kinds of dysfunction around uh, pricing, which is it has nothing to do with value. Yeah. Um, yes. My costs are none of your business. Uh, if you ever doubt this, go to a purchasing agent and tell them, I'm sorry, I have to change your price because my costs have changed. <laughs> and, and if that purchasing manager doesn't agree with you that your costs are any of their business, then why are your costs your business when the, when the price was profitable? Yep. Um, what else? Anything else that we have to talk about? Well, um, I think we'd be, I think we'd be leaving uh, a card on the table if we didn't talk about what's going on right now. Yes. And there, there's a challenge that I, I, I see happening and, um, it's happening in a number of industries and that is right now uh, there are people that are coming to the conclusion that now is not the right time to ask for the order because of all that's going on. Yeah. Just, uh, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second because we're recording this during the middle of a COVID shutdown. If you happen to be listening to this after the fact, that's the context. That's what, that that's the, yeah, yeah. I don't think anybody's going to forget. Um, <laughs> uh, but, although, but although they may not have known we were recording this. But, during but, that good, but good call. Um, and so one of the things that's happening is that companies are saying, well, great, what we're going to do is we're going to um, give away what it is that we offer for now under some terms of it or another um, and, and then not ask for the order or certainly not ask for payment right now uh, and then defer that until a period in time later when things have returned to whatever the new normal is going to be. And the, the real critical question is, is what value gets derived by your client by uh, perceived goodwill? It's question one. Um, question two, What's the value of free? Or what's the value of deferred? If it's not free, maybe you're maybe I have to sign a three-year agreement, but I, I don't have to pay the first year. Or I don't have to start paying until after the first year. It's still three years, it's just three years starting a year from now. But in that case, I'm still gonna get the use this year for free. Um, and if so, 
you know, where's the trade-off of being perceived as being one of the good guys um, and, and playing in a market right now that is very tender, very sore, in a lot of pain. Yeah. And, and is there any long-term impact of that? Uh, and, you know, as the, as the master of value, um, I, I put those questions in front of you first, and I'm happy to react to them. Okay. Well, how you, how you, how you feel on that? Well, I think, uh, yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot to unpack there. I had lots of thoughts and lots of things I was writing down. Um, the value of free can be very dangerous. Um, economists teach you that price is simply where the demand curve and the supply curve in, inter, interconnect or you know, intersect and that there's nothing emotional about that price. It's just a number uh, where two mathematical curves uh, intersect. And that's not the way price really is. Price declares value. And if you declare your price is free, you've declared something about your value. And so offering something for free can devalue it um, if you're not careful. If you were to offer something as deferred, um, that might be of value to open up a new relationship, but an existing relationship, um, I might ask, I might do that only in the case where I know that the, the customer is actually experiencing a cash flow crunch and this is going to help them grow their business. And um, you, you, you surround it with all of the expectation adjustment of saying, I'm, I'm doing this to help you grow your business and I'm taking a hit um, with, the, with some expectation of what we're going to trade for in the future. Uh, I think it's a valuable, it's a really valuable piece of advice to never give up a, something, a discount without getting something in return. Uh, when I launched my book, I told people uh, on day one, the price of the book is the acquisition cost is going down, but the price of the book is really you acquire it and then give me a review on Amazon. I'm exchanging some of my price for an Amazon review. Um, I, with a straight face, I can say I'm charging you a, a decreased price in exchange for something, and that has greater value to me. Um, because so, what if the what if the exchange is, is the goodwill that the business feels about you and your company and how you're acting in the marketplace versus I can't believe you're trying to trade on these difficult times and take advantage of people right now you've got to be really careful about that so yeah that that's i think that's i think the uh, uh i think it's a challenge right now because um everyone is trying to find their way through the time um uh, i think you're you're uh um, never do something in exchange without getting something in return uh, is, is long time tried and true great advice. Yeah. Um, 
but but at the same time, um, it's it's challenged by uh, the value holders, the value receivers, who don't have the normal amount of information to work under. Yeah, they don't um, know. It's, they don't know how long it's going to be. Yeah, they don't know what it's going to be like on the back end. Um, and therefore, if you're asking them to make decisions, they're uncomfortable because you're asking them to make decisions on something that they they don't have all the information, and people who don't have information don't generally like to make decisions. Yeah, if, if you wrap the decision in understanding for their um, uncertainty and, and you're saying, I'm trying to make going forward easier, um, but if we go forward, I expect on the tail end, this is what, um, if, if all of our assumptions are correct, this is what I would like it to turn into in the future. Right. That's a really productive conversation. Right. Uh, I, I'm, yeah, I'm reminded of the opposite situation. Um, this company made wire and cable and their cable was the fastest in the world. And um, this was back in the days when mainframe computers used a lot of this coax cable. So our cable made computers, made an IBM computer 17% faster than anybody else's computer because of the cable. And so then everybody started buying it. And one by one, when one of the uh, big computer companies started to struggle, they asked us for a price reduction. And we uh, asked them, well, none of what's, what's changed? What has changed in our value? Why would I want to give you a lower price? Um, well, when they came out of bankruptcy, it turned out we learned why why we would have wanted to give the their price, right? Um, because we want, they wanted to continue their relationship with us, and they very quickly found uh, something they could. They did the work of engineering around us, and um, so you you can learn the experience the other way. You know, you you can learn the other way, um, and so it's it's always important to understand. But that, I guess, leads us to the importance of understanding your customer's business and understanding their situation and helping to co-create a, a solution. Uh, these times right now, I think, call for more than ever uh, an understanding of your customer's situation and to co-create unique or uh, innovative solutions rather than the canned ones because the value of everything has changed in some way, right? We, we know that the value of an airfare has changed because of the perceived risk. And, but the value of your Amazon Prime membership has also changed. And the value of Grubhub has changed. And the value of being a domestic manufacturer of ball bearings has changed because ball bearings made in China and Germany um, are suddenly unavailable. Um, as, and as, as, uh, all of the manufacturers of, uh, personal protective equipment have found out, uh, any component that's made in one of those countries means that you might have to shut down your entire factory because you don't have a critical component. So never has been, it been more important to understand your customer's business. And I think, I think there's not going to be a new normal. I think we're going to have a series of, of 
constantly changing normals. And it's going to be, it's going to go from what exceptional salespeople used to always ask, here's what I think I understood. Is anything changed? Do I still understand the right thing? Now I think average salespeople are going to have to do the same thing in order to keep abreast of the change and to be responsive. And then we're going to have to all be really collaborative and co-create some, some really interesting solutions together, one of which might be a deferred payment arrangement in, ex in exchange for some um, exchange of expectations in the future. No doubt. Good conversation, Mark. Absolutely, Rich. Thank you so very much. Um, it's always a pleasure to get some of your time and to get this much of it was a real gift. Thank you very much. I appreciate you asking. I, it, uh, you ask and uh, I'll always pick up the Zoom. All right, great. Uh, one more time, if you want to give your, your contact information. Sure, you bet. R.C. Blakeman, B-L-A-K-E-M-A-N, at Gmail. And uh, I wish everybody a good day. Great, thanks. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value is all in your customer's mind, which means your success in business sits all in your customer's head. Thank you very much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.